0: Uh, hello, family. Good to see you. We want to thank Jeremy Fisher. He's our sound man. He's been working on that issue all while we we're singing, and he figured it out. We have a great team here, don't we? Uh, it's the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, this is an important week for us. If, uh, I guess I ask, are you guys ready for the good news? Me too. Me too. Well, if you're ready, grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43, we'll pick it up where we left off last week. Uh, if uh, Just trying to recap, if we're going to flourish as human beings, we must live under the, the kind rule and reign of Jesus Christ. But Jesus teaches that in order for us to enter his kingdom, this was earlier in chapter 5, he says, in order for us to enter into his kingdom, our righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees. That's like the prereq. And they were pretty moral people, I mean, externally. And so for the last five weeks, Jesus has been defining what he means by greater righteousness. And he doesn't mean an even higher moral standard. He means a deeper way of being in the world. Uh, that comes from inside of us. It comes from the core of our being, our heart, to use a biblical word. Uh, A wholehearted, whole person, virtuous way of living. That's what he means by greater righteousness. And so today we're going to look at this sixth and final example that really kind of encapsulates all the other examples that he's been teaching on this mountain. And uh, it is by far the most controversial teaching of Jesus and the most unique teaching of Christianity. This is the one. This is the one. By a long shot. And it's pretty appropriate that we talk about this on uh, Palm Sunday. Jesus says if you and I truly really want to be flourishing people, if we want to be satisfied, we must love our neighbors, including our enemies. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word.
1: You have heard it said that you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be of sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must perfect, be, therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a reading of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, you alone can rightly order the will and the wants of our hearts. Grant your people grace to love what you command and to desire what you promise so that our hearts may be more surely fixed to where true joys are found. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We, uh, we all know that Jesus commands us to love our neighbors. I mean, even people of other religions know that Jesus commands us to love our neighbors. It's not something that disciples of Jesus can choose to opt out of. We're duty-bound to love our enemies like ourselves. And usually our neighbors look like us and they think like us and they value what we value. I mean, that's usually why we moved into that neighborhood, right? And they're our neighbor as opposed to another neighborhood. And that kind of makes them a little easier for us to tolerate. I mean, love, right? But what happens when our neighbor excludes us? What happens when our our neighbor makes life difficult for us? Does not affirm what we cherish and, and hold to. I mean, surely those people are outside the bounds of Christ's commandment to love, right? You know, when we hear our Lord say, love your neighbor like you love yourself, there's something inside of us that responds with, "Hmm." and who exactly is my neighbor again, Jesus? Right? Could you just define that for me? Like, who can I exclude from this categorical command of of neighbor love and still look godly, still look like a Christian, still look righteous? Could you tell me who that is? That's definitely how I think. In fact, this is how the Jews interpreted the law at this point in history. The law, in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, commanded God's people to love their neighbor, which were often fellow ethnic Jews. Right? These are the people in your neighborhood. They look like you, act like you, worship like you. But nowhere does the Bible command us to hate people. You can't find that in the Bible. We're to hate injustice like God does. We are to hate sin, like God does, especially our own sin. And first of all, our own sin. Uh, We are called to hate lying and falsehoods. And we're called to hate death, like God hates death, right? But never people made in the image of God. And so, however, though, Jesus is responding to a misappropriation of the Torah, of God's law that was commonly held at this point in history. To love, this is, this is the misappropriation. You ready? To love my neighbor. And here's the subtext. And my fellow countrymen. Right? The nation of Israel necessarily means that at times I must hate those that oppose me and my countrymen that's what love is for my neighbor you know I can restrict the scope of my love to exclude my enemies and still be righteously following God's law I can still be a good guy a good gal And in these very few verses, Jesus is simultaneously exposing the thinness of this kind of neighbor love, and he's also calling us to a deeper kingdom-minded kind of love. Here's the big idea today. It's pretty simple. Loving our neighbor means everyone, including our enemies. Loving our neighbor includes everyone including our enemies. Today we're going to look at two examples of what this neighbor love looks like, and then we're going to look at two reasons for loving our enemies. Are you ready? You don't look ready. You ready? All right, here we go. First, first example of what this looks like. Loving our enemy looks like asking God to forgive them. Love looks like asking God to forgive our enemy. Meet me in verse 43. It's right here. Jesus says, you've heard. Boy, don't you and I hear a lot of stuff from people that claim to be authorities? He says, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and you're going to hate your enemy. But I say, but I say, do you hear the authority in this? Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus describes our enemies in these verses in two ways. A little later in verse 47, He describes our enemy as anyone who's different from us. Okay? That's it. Anyone who is is different from us. Speak a different language. Dialect. Different religion, different politics, different sexuality, different ethnicity. A Gentile, in other words. They're different. And here in this verse, he describes our our enemy is described as someone who is against us. They are a, some way opposing us specifically for our obedience to Jesus. Whether they're our fellow countrymen, you know, fellow Jew, or whether they're a Gentile. The definition is, are they against you specifically for obeying the words of Jesus Christ? Jesus is plainly stating that the commandment to love our neighbor is not qualified. It's not qualified by who the person is. Love is qualified by where they are. Okay? If they are near you, they are your neighbor it's so simple like you it's like idiot proof that's the definition you can't forget this listen Jesus is saying look if that person is near you they just became your neighbor okay near to love them even if they view you as an enemy okay Using Jesus' description, our enemy is against us. They're against our flourishing. So, they in other words, like maybe they think of you as the problem in society. Maybe you're the problem in the school system or in the uh, neighborhood and the HOA because you moved in. They want your life to be a little more uncomfortable. They want your life and getting things done that you need to get done to be a little bit more difficult for you less enjoyable for you how about we put it that way Jesus says that we are to love them get this by praying for them not praying at them praying for them specifically it says we're to we're to pray on their behalf that means for their good for their flourishing right how we ask God to forgive them that's how we love our enemy. And that's how we specifically we pray for them. Jesus says we love them by praying for them. And we pray for our enemy. Why? Because we know Jesus' kingdom is certainly coming. In fact, it's already come. When Jesus returns to fully establish His rule, Jesus is going to right every wrong. Everything that's been flipped upside down, he's going to turn it right back side up, right side up. In other words, Jesus is going to render judgment for every unrighteous word, desire, or deed that people have done throughout their entire time on his planet. Christ is bringing a cosmically comprehensive writing of everything that is wrong down to the tiniest renegade molecule. Here's how we're to pray for our enemies. It starts in our heart. We don't want God to hold against them the wrongs that they've done to us. Actually, our hearts changing. We actually don't want God to hold their wrongs against us against them that they've done. In other words, we ask God to forgive them their trespasses. We're going to talk more about this when we get to the Lord's Prayer soon. This is how we're to pray. Like and we actually would maybe we actually say those words to God. God, I pray you forgive their trespasses against me. And here's why. Because you can't do this if you don't know why. You're going to be all up in your emotions. Because you know that their fate, their current situation, and their fate is infinitely worse than your current situation if they do not accept Christ's beautiful forgiveness. As bad as your situation is, theirs is infinitely worse. It doesn't even compare. See, when you hear this command of Jesus in light of his coming kingdom, brothers and sisters, it should cause us to pity our enemies. It should cause us to it should break our heart for them and pity them and have compassion on them. Yes, even though they're hurting us. Listen, listen, pity precedes prayer did you guys hear me pity precedes prayer and if you can't pray for your enemy, it's because you haven't pitied them yet and he's giving you resources to help you do that and me do that listen that's what motivates us to do this uncommon kingdom-minded thing pity precedes prayer so listen i want you to think for a moment about the righteous judgment that awaits for your enemy whoever they are visualize the incredible suffering that they are choosing and they're choosing every time they interact with you or your family or whoever they're choosing that every time I want you to picture if you can picture it put a picture to it in your mind The dark separation from all light, from all life that they will endure for what they are doing and what they have done if they don't repent. Listen, they are running with increasing speed toward a nightmare that they will never wake up from. Pity them. Pity them. And weep actual tears for them. And then pray for them. Pray that God would quickly bring them to repentance and rescue them. Pray that God would lead them very quickly, maybe even by Friday. To repentance so that they might be spared what you have been spared. I know what you're probably thinking. Is this? I mean, is this even possible for us to love our neighbors? Is it even possible for us to do this? Absolutely. History is replete with this. In fact, the first like 400 years of church history, Christians did this. I'll give you a more modern example. June seventeenth, two thousand and fifteen, during a during a bible study at Emmanuel AME church it was a historically black church a 21 year old white man named Dylan Roof fired 77 rounds from a Glock 45 into the bible study like i don't know how much ammo and clips you have to carry in to do something like that but he was loaded for bear he murdered nine black image bearers in that Bible study and wounded others, including the pastor, the lead pastor, Reverend Daniel Simmons. Now at the trial, Roof proudly said that he intended to start a race war. Those are his That's his testimony. And he was not sorry in the slightest for what he had done. He was proud of what he did. And the jury sentenced him to death for his crimes now listen to this after the sentencing reverend simmons son dan simmons jr said this directly to dylan roof he looked right at him when he said this you ready i'm going to quote him he said i forgive you i forgive you i know that you don't understand that but god requires me to forgive you I forgive you. He also requires me to plead and pray for you. And I do that. Understand that as you have been judged, know that you have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Know that you can change your life. Stay focused. I guarantee if you choose to serve Him, you will have a better life. Close quote. Guys, is that incredible or what? Later, Melvin Graham, he's the brother of 54 year old victim Cynthia Graham Heard, also encouraged Ruth to repent. This is like days and weeks later, by the way, when the pain is really setting in. Quote He's in God's hands now. And if. He turns his life around. If he makes a humble confession to God, he can join my sister and the other eight in heaven. Because God said, I will forgive you no matter what you do. I will forgive you. That is what loving your enemy looks like in the real world, family. Yes, we can. Secondly, loving our enemy looks like speaking a blessing to them. It looks like speaking a blessing to them. It's here in verse 47. Jesus says, and if you greet only... It's exclusive language, right? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than other people. Do not even Gentiles do the same thing? Those are godless people. The greeting that Jews would give one another was shalom. Shalom. And that means peace, but it actually means more than that. It means God's peace. It's not like, you know, peace, dude. Okay? It's like God's peace. Wholeness. God's wholeness on your life. It's like a benediction greeting. You know how much I love benedictions, right? It's a blessing. It carried more than a mere social formality like greeting hello or goodbye means for, for like us as Americans. Shalom was said as a prayer or a benediction that invoked thoughts of God. I'm speaking something about God over your life. Shalom. Shalom. My brother, my sister. And Jesus says... Our enemy is anyone near us, right? Regardless of how different they are from us culturally, politically, socially, or ethnically. Because he uses the word Gentile here. To love them, get this, to love them then is to wish God's best upon them. God's best upon them. Speaking blessings instead of curses. To greet our enemy means to speak in such a way to let them know I am for your flourishing and not your destruction and demise. Even though you are for my demise. Shalom. That's what it means. See, taking Jesus' definition of enemy and taking his description of what love means, like loving someone, I want you to do a little thought experiment right now, okay? You can close your eyes if it helps you focus. And I want you to think about your neighbor. Your neighbors. Like, literally. Think of, Just take a second. Think about your actual neighbor. Can you visualize their face? Let's, let's humanize them. They're people, right? So can you visualize a real person? Think about the people that literally live near you. Or think about the people that literally work near you sit near you, shop near you, drive in front of you during the commute home every day at 5 o'clock with various flags and bumper stickers on their car. Think about people who are not like you in this thought experiment. Jesus doesn't say love means you agree or affirm everything that they believe. Love doesn't mean that you adopt every value that they hold dear jesus says love means greeting them with a blessing of shalom god's peace on you god's wholeness in your life it is wishing them well even if they are not wishing for your wellness it's it's kind of like what they say when you go to walgreens be well Right? Whether you've been rude to them or not, be well. Maybe we could do even a little better than Walgreens, right? As the church. Be well. Be whole. You're cursing me, you're not at peace. That's because you're not at peace. That's because you're not at peace and I want I want you to be whole and at peace, right? It's greeting their curses with a blessing. By the way, is this not exactly what Jesus did? But you guys realize that Jesus is not just teaching stuff that he's never experienced or done. He's teaching all this stuff that he's actually done and gone through and experienced with us. He, he is the, the forerunner, right? Look at later in Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 47 while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, now the betrayer had given them a sign. He said, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. That's the sign, the kiss, right? Okay. And now he came up to Jesus, and at once he said, what did he say? Greeting, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, How did Jesus reply to that? And Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, do do what you came to do. And then they came up, they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. Judas is an enemy. Of Jesus who greets him in a way that looks like a blessing but really it is cursing him it is a kiss of death that's where we this is where we get that phrase the kiss of death greetings rabbi I'm I'm sending you to your death cursing you how does Jesus respond Jesus responds to this greeting of curse With a greeting of blessing. He calls his enemy what? Friend? He's saying, Look, you are my enemy, Judas, but even now, I'm not your enemy. Even now, I'm not your enemy. You're my enemy, that's fine, but I'm not your enemy. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Who is this guy? So let's look at why we should love our enemy. Why should we do this? We've talked about what that looks like, how to do it. And look why? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons, two motivations. It's right here. Loving only our people, in quotes, loving only our people is really paganism. It's not piety. Let me say that again. Because loving only our people is really paganism. It's not piety. We see here in verse 46 and 47, Jesus says, and here's why, for, for this reason, for if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? The answer is, of course, yes. Yes. And remember, earlier I said that we all tend to naturally interpret God's command to love our neighbor in a way that allows us to exclude our enemies and yet still look righteous, right? Still look like we're following God's commandment. We're good people, you know. And so this is one of the ways that it works out. Sometimes I've done this, but see how this works out with you. It sounds something like this, you know. I'm going to love those that are near me. That are like me first. I'm going to love those that, I know Jesus definition, I'm going to love those that are near me, but the ones that are like me first. And so I'm going to ignore, I'm going to pass over those that are near me, but they're really different than me. And they don't like me. And so technically, 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 by the letter of the law, I love my neighbor. I did it. See, by the time I was done loving those neighbors who love me, I, I just ran out of time to love my neighbors that are different than me. Sun went down, right? I just ran out of time. I prioritized differently. I, I want to love them, but I just I ran out of money. I ran out of resources. I can't do, I can't give money to everybody. I just ran out of energy by the time I got to loving the people that don't like me. See, technically, I obey Jesus. Aren't we sneaky? I am. Maybe you're not. I am. That's how I do this. I like how New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington explains what Jesus is saying here. He says, quote, Jesus pushes his enemies, the Pharisees, and by extension, anyone in the church who acts like Pharisees to see that their righteousness is on the level of those that they deem least righteous—the Gentiles and tax-collecting sellout Jews. Close quote. Jesus uses the Pharisees' own definition in saying, "Look, your definition of the least righteous people—you're not even—you're do- like doing that. I'm—he's i am not even gonna like put words in your mouth. I'm using your own words, and your own values, and your own definitions." Is Jesus a master teacher or what? See, to love those that love us, family, and to hate those that hate us is not righteous. It's not right. This is not right according to Jesus, right? Listen, it's completely pagan, in fact. No matter how you dress it up. I mean, to financially support an organization that loves only what you love, that's what the mafia does. Am I right? That's what they do. To seek the flourishing of only the people that are in your political party, Only in your ethnic tribe, that's what godless people who don't know the first thing about God do. That's how they do life. You know what I'm saying? Like the people that have affairs do that. People that cheat on their taxes and they lie on their resumes. People that get drunk, people that get high, people that sleep in on Sunday mornings and sleep around, during the week do that. People that curse their parents as well as their government do that. That's the kind of people who do that level of love. Jesus is saying, listen, for all your donations to charity, for all your actions of love for your kind of people, it's no more righteous, it's no greater than the least righteous people that you can think of. Why do you think you're going to get a pat on the back from God? It reflects nothing of the kingdom of God. That love reflects the world's values, actually, according to Jesus. Ouch, Jesus. Right? Like some some guy said, hey, if you can't say amen, at least say ouch. Ouch. But isn't this how we select who we will love? This is my method. I'm sorry to say. We will only love those that we think are worthy of it, that have deserved it. Those that love what we love and work for what we are working for. Why love our enemies? Jesus says because only loving my people my tribe, that is really nothing you should be bragging about. Here's another reason. It's because God loved us when we were His enemy. That's why we love our enemies, guys. And this is the Gospel. God has loved us when we were His enemy. Meet me in verse 45. He says, so that. That's a purpose statement. Why do this? So that. You may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good people. And he says, rain on the just and the unjust. God the Father gives good blessings. Get this indiscriminately indiscriminately to all kinds of people good people quote unquote good people and bad people right God is looking out for the flourishing God is looking out for the welfare of people who are enemies and actually are opposed in their life against him neck nuts that's God that is our God and get this, he does this every single day. All day long, 365 days a year, and he doesn't take holidays off or Saturdays. That's our God. God does not only love his people. Now, he loves his people in a special way, but he it's not limited. He's not like only loving his people. And that's what Jesus is saying. God does not love only those who love him back. His love reaches past the boundaries into the camp of his enemies. Wow. And Jesus here puts an even finer point on this when he subtly says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. That, by the way, that's just like a gospel, that's like gospel in a nutshell, right there. That's a really pregnant little phrase that's actually about the gospel. If we unpack it, he's saying, look, God, God has loved you. Yes, you through Jesus when you were God's enemy. When you and I were building our own. Kingdoms when we were living according to completely different culture different value system a a self-defined code of Ethics of right and wrong God chose to love us exactly the way that Jesus describes Right here for you and I to do to our enemies. He's saying God's God's already done that for you Jesus did not call from the cross. Father, curse them for what they were doing. Which direction were the curses coming? From there up, right? There was cursing happening, but it wasn't coming down from the cross. It was coming up to the cross from people like us. Good people, religious people, high priest people that knew the Bible and prayed every day, right? Pharisees. And they were proud. Look what we're doing for God. To God. To God. Jesus didn't call from the cross. Father, curse them for what they are doing. Judge their deeds. No. No. Jesus pitied us. Felt sorrow for us, not himself. He was a man of sorrow, but it wasn't he wasn't sorry for himself. You'll sing that song differently next time. He was sorrowful for you and for Chad. He pitied us. And then he prayed for us. Where? From the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. If they knew what they were doing, they'd stop. Don't, don't judge them, Father. Jesus prayed so that you and I, even now, even now, right now, that we would repent of our sin. He prayed that we would get a soft spot in our heart. And we'd receive His forgiveness over and over. In love, Jesus suffered hell so that you and I might be spared it if we would only turn toward him in faith and by the way guys we never stop turning towards jesus we're forever turning towards jesus we're ever forever following jesus it would have been loving enough for god to just forgive our sins just to kind of like wipe the slate clean that would have been loving enough, but his love is even greater than we can imagine. Through Christ, his only son, God has made us sons and adopted us into his own family. This is crazy. This is amazing love, right? Look at this Romans 5, 6-8. Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Jesus loved his enemies. Me and you. See, here's me and you. We love people we find lovely. Amen. We love people that we find beautiful. But God's love makes wicked people lovely. God's love makes wicked people beautiful. God has loved you to life. God has transformed us from enemies of God into friends of God. How? By the love of Christ. And not only friends, but beloved sons and daughters. We were on the other side of the wall, firing shots over the wall at God, and God didn't just say, all right, well, I'm going to move you into the neighborhood and make us neighbors. And we'll be at peace. He said, no, I'm going to move you into my house. I'm going to take my enemy and transform into a daughter and a son and give him keys to my house. Is this amazing love? That ought to make you smile a little bit. See, when you understand how little you deserve God's great, massive, deep, wide, high, and long love, and you understand how much he went through to adopt us into his family, it should make you want, at least, to love your enemies. should make you at least want to love your enemies. It was knowing the love of Jesus, this love, this love of Jesus that helped the survivors of the Emanuel Nine massacre loved Dylan Roof, and they said so. It was love. It was knowing that Jesus loved us while we were His enemy that empowers us to love our enemies today too. Let's look at this last verse, First John four nineteen. I've never seen this on a bumper sticker, but it ought to be there. It's so short. We love because He first loved us. You know what? That's, Jesus says, look, whoever goes first wins. Whoever loves first wins. And that's how He won you. Isn't that how He won your heart? He loved you first. And now you got to love Him. Let's be people who love our enemies crossway. This is the way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Let's pray. Oh, Almighty and gracious Jesus Christ, our Lord, we hear what you are telling us, we hear your voice speaking so clearly help us help us love our enemy no matter who they are because at the end of the day no matter who they are it matters where they are if they're near us they're our neighbor and we're so glad that you loved us like that you loved us first so help us pity help us pray help us bless help us greet with benedictions and not curses, even as you greeted us. You call us friend. You call us son and daughter. Would you change our church, change our hearts. In your holy, precious, sacred name we pray. Amen.